This is Free Cookies from ESPNW. I am your host, Catherine Budig. And I'm Kate Fagan. And this is a podcast all about sports, wellness, and pop culture. And in today's podcast, we talk to the wildly successful entrepreneur, Lewis Howes, about ambition, success, and whether or not it actually brings happiness. Okay, and then, because of Lewis's former life as a professional Arena League football player, we decided we were going to bust out a segment from the outtakes, like the archives, what we thought were our quote-unquote demo tapes. This was a conversation we never thought would fill the pod waves. But we're going to share it. It's going to be good. Finally, Catherine is going to drop a healthy cookie. She's going to give you her top pointers for staying healthy while traveling. So basically what I'm saying is it's a list. It's a list. She's a girl after my own heart. <laughs> but at the top of the show, we wanted to share the conversation that has been going around and around in our head lately. But first, we've got some housekeeping. All right, we got a little housekeeping. So, so a couple weeks ago, we brought you the breaking news about the Girl Scout cookie thief who stole 6,000 boxes, $26,000 worth of cookies. So many cookies. We, we're not quite sure when her court date is. We'll keep you posted. But we have more news on the Girl Scout cookie front They unveiled a new cookie, the s'more cookie. How does that make you feel, Kate? I don't quite understand because they kind of already had a chocolate graham cracker combination. Right, but one has, I mean, chocolate on the outside and the other has graham crackers on the outside. And now what do we have, like, graham cracker on the outside and now chocolate? I mean, truth be told, s'mores, 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 s'mores have never been my favorite cookie ever. I'm not a big marshmallow fan. Well, here's the point I'm saying. Thank you, Girl Scout cookies, for introducing a redundant cookie to the market. I hope you make a ton of money from it because it's for a good cause, but it's not making the standard cookie list. So that's not even up for debate? No, it's not up for debate. Okay. Well, moving away from our cookie situation, we have actually been up since 5 30 a.m., which is unusual for us. Uh, We like to sleep until 8, usually. Uh, Or longer. But we actually woke the dogs up ourselves today. Role reversal, because we just returned from London. We learned a lot of things in London, and we want to share some of our favorite things with you. The first thing that I wanted to share was that I learned the origin of the phrase, or the word, biscuit. Now, that may sound like a harsh English word, but it actually derives from the French, biscuit. Biscuit. Which, when you break down that word, means to cook twice. Because qui means cook, and bis must mean twice. something like twice. twice and cooked. what had happened was, back in the day, they were making cakes, and they inadvertently cooked the cake twice, and then it became hard and crunchy, and they were like, well, it's still kind of good, and we don't want to throw it out, because it's back in the day, and we can't just throw things out willy-nilly back in the day, and so they were like, this was cooked twice, it's a a biscuit, and now it's called a biscuit. Of course, that is not on the standard cookie list. Biscuits are not on the standard cookie list, but I love the origin of that phrase. True. Well done. What did you learn in London? Well, what I learned in London was, and I'm going to go back to one of Kate's favorite things, lists. Okay, cool. So do you remember when, I I don't know even if I can say when you were younger, but remember when you, if you say you're single and you're trying to find your perfect human Mm -hmm. and they ask you to make a list of every single nitty gritty nuanced detail about what that human should possess and that's your perfect person? This is different than when you were a kid and you did the game. Yeah, it's not the like folding paper box thing. Is that what you're talking about? Yes, that's what I'm talking about. Or where you make the circles with home at the top? Yes, that's the one I meant. (laughs) Yes, I remember that. No, 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 no. Mansion? No, home. Oh, what was the O? What was the... Uh, Mansion, home, apartment, shack? Wasn't there a shack? There was a shack. What was O? Oh my gosh. Okay. Maybe it wasn't home. Maybe maybe now we're off on a tangent. Anyway, listeners, I know you're going to have to help about. us out on that one. But the point is, so, you know, it's a common exercise where, you know, manifest your fir- your perfect partner. Yep. So you have to write down every single little tiny detail. And one of my details, I don't have to make that list anymore because I have found that person. But Who is it? A very, oh, I'm just cliffhanger, right? But the one of the qualities that was so important to me was that my partner absolutely has to be able to drive Stick shift. In fact, when you asked me if I could drive stick shift, I believe my response was, would you like me if I couldn't? To which I said, no. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely not. So the reason that I bring this up is because we rented a car while we were in London. And Kate, who used to live in Ireland, like a total pro, 
drove us around. Um, me and our mothers were with us for a full week. And she was exquisite. I was quite impressed. Although sitting on the left side of the car and being close to the curb made me wildly anxious when we got close to shrubbery. I only drove on the right side of the road one time, everybody. And I did that because I thought it was a one-way street. So it, was, it wasn't because I forgot and I thought I was in America. It was because I thought <laughs> it was a one-way street. And it was very, very short-lived. And we lived. So that's the good news. But moving on. Also, idioms... Coming back to another very important topic in our lives, we learned a new one while we were over in London, and it was, what was it? It, it was uh, wait for the dime to drop. No, it was wait for the penny to drop. It was close though. You were close. Wait for the freaking small coin to drop. You picked the smaller of the two coins, but the saying was like, "Oh, if I remember it correctly, the penny dropped." If if you suddenly realized a joke or if you finally caught on to the conversation. So apparently the usage would be, and perhaps many Assuming folks, you haven't gotten there yet. Right. Hey, wait for the penny to drop. You're out of conversation. Somebody says a joke. You know someone doesn't get it. And then you're like, and then later they laugh and you're like, the penny must have dropped. Or in your case, the dime must have dropped. The dime must have dropped. The crown. Before we get to what I know you want to share about the last point of the trip to London, I'm just going to try and skip right over it and dive into this conversation that we want to share with people. I'm not going to let you. No, 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 no. Because there is one final list thing that we need to address. In our last episode, I made a list of the ish Kate has lost. And you guys, I can't even try to make this up. This is so unbelievable. So we are in the taxi from JFK coming back from London with my mom. No, 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 wait, it's better than that. We were in the plane, and Kate looks at me, and she's like, do you have my wallet? To which I said, no, no, I don't have your wallet. To which she said, oh, well, my mom must have it, because, you know, God forbid Kate has her own freaking wallet in her it's own pocket. It's a big pocket wallet. I don't want to carry bag. it. So we get in the cab, and she gets a text from her mom, who is already on her way to upstate New York on the subway <laughs> at this point, and a text saying, Kate, I have your wallet. To which I... No, 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 no. And, and then Kate's response is she looks at me and she goes, I have a credit card. I have one solo credit and card. And my passport. That I managed. And she has her passport. So, so we're back to square one again where she's not using a driver's license. She's going to have to use her passport. <laughs> but she actually has some funds of her own this time. Not for long because my mom's FedExing me in my wallet. Thanks, mom. I love you. The conversation. And this is something we've been talking about while we're taking a walk in London or even in Brooklyn, in New York here. It's been going round and round. So we've been talking about this idea of the shift of importance and how for me personally, for Kate and I know for Kate's mom, uh, a lot of our um, one of my best friends who has a baby right now is this idea of you're only as good as your last achievement. And what I really want to feel is what I you know, judge myself by what I've accomplished in my life as opposed to what I've accomplished recently. And I don't know if that's a new pressure or if this is just common for humans in general, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's this concept for, for me of the goalposts moving. Right. And we, we touch on this briefly with Lewis and the amount of stress that the moving goalposts actually create because, and by moving goalposts, I mean, Oh, I, I, I want to write a book. Okay, I write a book. No, but that's not good enough. I need the book to sell X amount of copies. Oh, if it sold X amount of copies. No, no, no. I need it to win mm. this award. And at no point and for everyone in each of their life, that moving goalposts might look different. A sales number or, you know, a, a, a teaching certificate and how you want to you know be received by your students. Whatever it is, it seems like you have your eye on this will make me happy. Sure. This ambition, and if I reach it, it will make me happy. Then you get there, and something about your mind and your body then pushes the goalpost out farther, and all of a sudden you start thinking, well, all of this chasing of ambition and goals like isn't making me happy. Basically, the question is, does success bring happiness, or does success bring a temporary moment of happiness when you achieve whatever said goal is, only to be immediately hit by this, you know, expectation or success hangover where you constantly need to achieve something better. So do we need to bring our lives back to something more simplistic? Because perhaps these big lofty goals are actually making us 
depressed. Yeah, I've been I've been noticing lately and admiring in my parents how so much of what makes them happy is in their control. Mm-hmm. They, my dad loves to go bird watching. May sound ridiculous, but he loves it. My mom loves going with him. They love going for walks. They love a good cup of coffee. They love sitting on the deck. We love latte drinking. Right. I think I have a couple that I have that no matter what happens during a day, I look forward and they make me happy and they're in my control. So much of my parents' lives and their own happiness is driven by things that they totally can control. And so much of my life when I look at it is driven in a pursuit of happiness that like, ultimately I don't have control over. Yeah. And I'm trying to rein that back in and do more things and look at my parents and be like, wow, I, I want to achieve some of that level of happiness that every single day I can wake up and point to three or four things I know that are going to bring me a sense of internal calm. Sure. And this is a daily conversation that Kate and I have been having. And we would actually really love to hear your thoughts from their listeners, from our cookie monsters. And check it out, y'all. We have a real email. A working email address. That we will actually receive your messages from. And it is freecookies at ESPN.com. So they can send us their thoughts on what they do each day to kind of stay grounded. Or if they want to come at me about the standard cookie list, that's the place to drop a note as well. And we remembered what the game was that we used to play when we were little. MASH. MASH! Not home, everybody. M-A-S-H. Mansion, apartment, shack. Shack. House. House. I always wanted a shack, but if it was on the beach. (laughs) You're so optimistic. And speaking of optimistic, we have Lewis Howes in the house today. And he is a New York Times bestselling author, lifestyle entrepreneur, former professional athlete, and world record holder in football. All right. Wow. He's tiring. But during his childhood, he was the last kid picked in sports, was bullied, had difficulty reading, was sexually abused by a man, and remembers telling his parents and teachers that he wished he was dead. He said he felt he had no value, no purpose, but early on, as you'll hear, Lewis found a drive, a work ethic, a Olympic mentality mm-hmm. that lived inside of him. He was determined to be the guy who was picked first for sports, to excel, to have friends, to create a life of value just crazy determined he literally spent every afternoon for years working out practicing in his backyard putting every ounce of loneliness and negativity into achieving his goals so fast forward into adulthood he has supplied that same vigor into finding his purpose and creating a better life for himself and for others he's actually you know the rags to riches story and not just financially but emotionally we had to sit down with lewis and find out How someone who had no business experience and was actually sleeping on his sister's couch, he told this to Ellen on The Ellen Show. (laughs) And us, and us. And us, but first, I just mentioning Ellen, okay? We have a guest who also was on Ellen. There's an Ellen connection here happening. He is now running a seven-figure business a few years later after he was sleeping on his sister's couch. So it's crazy. There's hope for us all. But um, more important than money, Lewis found his self-worth. He studied everything he could about business, marketing, and human behavior, and especially his own. He spent years learning how to love and see the value in himself. So his purpose now is to teach people how to do the same. Lewis House is the host of the podcast, School of Greatness. He's the author of a New York Times bestselling book by the same name. He's a former professional arena football league player and U.S. men's national handball team player. He focuses on helping others build success and dream big. How'd I do? Yeah, that's pretty good. What yeah. would you add? What resonated? What were you like? No, that's not quite what I identify I with. That's about it. I, I, okay. I'm, I consider myself a decathlete of life, so you can pretty much throw anything <laughs> in there, and you know, I like to try it. So okay. And I also want to add on because I struggle when people. What do you do for a living? Yeah. Like if you wanted to give a sound bite of who you are, do you have a quick blurb? Because it's very difficult to do in our ask, world. Ask me the question. So you guys are at a cocktail party. You don't know each other, uh-huh. and then Catherine says, "Hey, handsome, what do you do for a living?" Whatever it takes. Whoa. Your, is that the appropriate response that you need? No, and then no. if, I, if the follow-up is, whatever it takes to reach where? Exactly. Wow, it's very obtuse. <laughs> and you then know, if I'm like, no, give me a concrete understanding, I would Lewis. say whatever it takes to achieve my dreams. What yeah. are your dreams right now? Uh, right now it's to make the Olympics. So part of that is contingent on if the LA gets the bid because uh, for 2024. 
because then I'd be an, we'd be an automatic qualifier with USA Handball. So tomorrow I go to the national championships to compete with the uh, the USA team. Whoa, tell me more. I knew I knew you played for the U.S. national handball yep. team, but I didn't know that it was still at the forefront of your mind to. And did you take a break active. from it? For a little bit? I haven't taken a break from it, but when the USA team isn't playing, which happens like we haven't played, I, they haven't played a tournament since the last, in a year. Okay. So the last tournament was in Argentina a year ago and um, for the Pan Am Championships. So we just, we don't have the funding, so we never travel or anything until there's like a big tournament. Um, so this is really exciting then. I mean, it's exciting if we get the bid, but right. then but then it's seven years of staying healthy and like being, you know, staying in it and being 41 when it happens. So there's a lot of things that could happen oh, in between. Oh, of all people that I know, you, Lewis, we'll will see, stay though. healthy. It, it all depends. I mean, it all depends. So, um, Although, one of my fondest memories of you, mm-hmm. we met at the Summit at Sea series. Yes. And when we found out, yoga. we did acro yoga. The first thing, I had just had lunch. I had on boots. And he was like, hey, let's do hand-to-hand handstands. And I was like, oh, sweet baby Jesus, I can't do this. <laughs> For the hardcore sportsers, what is acro yoga? That's a very good question. Like there's a yoga. base yeah, and then someone yoga. who does yoga on top of their feet and or hands. It's more like acrobat, acrobatic very. type of stuff with yoga elements. Yeah. So when it comes to handball, mm-hmm. I believe that it's extremely popular in some Europe. places huge in Europe okay it's um, one of the most popular sports in in Germany and France behind soccer and, and uh, basketball I mean they sell out arenas you know at 20 25,000 people I've been a game I went to a game in Egypt actually in Cairo with oh, wow. 25,000 people at the African championships it was like a soccer game indoors it's insane the amount of like screaming nonstop noisemakers it's maniacs everywhere. They're what, so passionate about it. What are your thoughts on why it's not popular in the U.S.? Uh, awareness. No one knows about it. Hmm. No one knows about it, and there's no professional league. So if it was, there was, if there was a pro league with superstars, I think kids would be excited about it and they'd want to play. But since they don't see it ever on TV until the Olympics comes around, they see it for 20 minutes and highlights. That's what happened to me in 2008. I was sitting on my sister's couch at 3 a.m., in Ohio watching highlights during the Olympics. And this came on because it wasn't on during the day because it's not popular here. And I was like, what is this sport? It was so electric, so magnetic. I was like, this is my chance of going to the Olympics. And then I just made the commitment right then I was gonna make the USA team and figure it out. And two years later, I moved to New York and started playing and, and made the team a year later after that. And so you have a background in football. Yeah. When you're sitting there watching handball, mm-hmm. What did you see on that screen that made you believe that your athletic skills would translate to yeah. that game? I mean, I was a, I was a, I played a lot of sports in high school. I think like most athletes, but I played, you know, basketball in college as well. Very competitive basketball, and I was a decathlete as well, all American decathlete. So I had a, and I was a pitcher all through up till high school, end of high school. So I could throw, you know, an 88-mile-an-hour fastball, which in team handball, which most people listening probably have no clue what it is still. Imagine um, lacrosse with no stick Oy. or soccer with your hands. Uh, you're How on big a court, is the ball? seven on seven. It's a tiny, like, soccer ball that you're dribbling on a bigger basketball court, mm. and you're throwing it into a goal behind a goalie. Like, if you get hit by this ball, does it hurt? Yeah. I've, yeah, it hurts really bad. You get hit right in the face. It hurts a lot. So awesome. imagine, imagine like water polo. It's exactly like water polo without water. <laughs> I like that you said that you're the like decathlete of of life. Yes. Now we've obviously nailed down one of those events that you're mm-hmm. participating in, mm-hmm. which is the athletic side. Yeah. What other ones right now are most paramount to your focus? Mm. You mean other things that I'm up to? Yes. The podcast. Yes. Is this is, I'm trying to make a, like an sure, expert sure. transition here of as a podcast I like host. It. I like it. <laughs> Good segue. Uh, I mean, the podcast is something that I've been focusing on for four and a half years. I mean, we do it three times a week, which is a lot. A, a lot of work, but it's a lot of fun. And it's, you know, what's built my audience and built my business is, you know, that audience. So that's one thing. My, you know, the book that I have coming out is another facet of that. Um, my vision is to build a media empire of inspiration and make personal development sexy and mainstream. So I'm trying to make greatness the word that is attractive to everyone and teach skills and tools on how to optimize your life through this message. So I, I was reading more yeah. the like, this is the human uh-huh. me bio that you have on your site. And you talked about when you were younger, how you struggled with reading, how mm-hmm. you felt like you were bullied in school, how you felt stupid. Yeah. Funny enough, I have struggled my entire <laughs> life with feeling secretly that I'm stupid mm. and that I'm not intelligent enough. Mm-hmm. 
And so I, when someone calls me out right away and tells me, no, that's not the right way, I immediately go into that revert into the little girl isn't smart enough mm-hmm. mode. I'm curious because it sounds it like you have that, that same experience. So mm. are there still moments that someone says something or does something mm-hmm. and you revert back into that feeling lost? You know, oh, all the time. Yeah. Uh, I mean, all the time. And not like my whole childhood was um, determined on like proving people wrong and trying to like learn skills so that I could be like accepted because I wasn't accepted in like book smarts and right. I couldn't stand up in front of a class and read out loud because I didn't know how to say the words that I was reading and I didn't know what they meant. Right. So I just felt so insecure anytime I was in a classroom or um, you know just around a group of kids who were talking. I mean here's a here's a great instance uh, when I was like seven I think seven or eight. No, I must have been eight. My brother went to prison for for selling drugs to an undercover cop, and he was sentenced six to twenty five years as a first time offender. And um, I would I didn't have any friends during this time because growing up in you know suburban Ohio, there was no one that went to prison in the, that anyone knew of, right? right. And like in white suburb, suburbs. And um, so none of the kids' parents would allow their kids to hang out with me for four years, essentially. Just out of association? Yeah, just out of like, oh, that's the like little brother of the prisoner, right, of the convict. And so I remember there was a moment, I mean, I was totally picked on. I was stupid. I didn't know anything in school, but I was also just picked on because I was like 6'4 when I was seven and like gangly <laughs> and like just like, dirt, you know. I'm only looking. laughing because he couldn't have been 6'4. No, I wasn't. Seven, I was, <laughs> but I was tall. I'm not laughing was, at him being yeah, picked exactly. on. But I was just like the ugliest kid you can imagine, essentially with like acne everywhere and it's just like constantly insecure. Yeah. And that was like my early drive. But I, um, I remember I didn't have any friends and these two kids were like, do you want to join our club? Like our little like kid club or something, right? Like where you go hang out in like a tree house or in their basement or whatever it was. And I go, yeah, I want to join the club. <laughs> it's so sad. It's sad, but it's like kind of funny at the same time. He goes, there's two ways you could be a part of the club. You can, um, you have to answer a right question or pay money. And, Stop. and I was like, okay, well I don't have any money. So what's the question? Oh. <laughs> And there was like two different questions I had to answer. And I didn't know the answer to both no. of them. So they were like, okay, you have to like pay money. And so I walked home. Or were they home. asking you like, what's the capital of Utah? One of the questions, I can't remember one of them, but I think the other one was like, how many astronauts were like, oh, went geez. to the moon or something like that, right? And so I walk home and ask my mom for money. And I take like all these change back in a little shoe box and like give them money <laughs> to hang out with them. And I remember like after that day, I was like so ashamed of myself that I was like I'd rather just be alone and so I just was like alone for like the next five years training in the backyard as an athlete to get better so that I like kids would pick me on the playground that was my life what is the most recent (laughs) example of like something happening and you feel this pang of old insecurity Mm. or Mm. yeah do you ever feel that as an adult now I mean I'm not gonna call out uh, names or anything but uh, someone I'm doing like I kind of mentioned to you guys earlier but someone I'm doing a business partnership with has been challenging to work with on a lot of different things and kind of like discounting my opinion and my vision for my work and it's been stressful and struggling because they've just been so like, I feel, whether it's intentional or not, I feel like I'm being very ganged up on and attacked. And my vision for my my work is not being validated. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's like, you know, this is my thing. This is what I'm up to. This is what I'm creating. And for it to constantly be like knocked down or not validated frustrates me or I feel like they're not on my team frustrates me. So, um, and it's been like, you know, I can't, like all week I've been a little emotionally like stressed out and like weighing on me. And I'm like, gosh, why am I allowing this to get to me? But I care so deeply about my work and my mission that I'm like, I want it to be amazing and I want right. it to make an impact and I don't want to just do whatever someone else wants me to do. So, God. okay, so living in a place without validation is a mm. really interesting idea for me these days mm. because uh, I've been going through a big reinvention of pretty much everything yeah. in my life and I have not had the regular amount of validation that I'm used to receiving. Because mm. when you're teaching yoga, you get every sure, day. Sure, you get the you're praise, like you get the accolades, like, the hugs, the, the kisses. Oh my God, I love you, I love you, keep doing you what you're doing. Me, yes. Yeah, and so I'm curious mm-hmm. with what you're going through right now, do you have any secrets you can give me to, because mm-hmm. I have moments of survival and then moments of wanting to throw in the towel. You know, I, um, I, I love validation and acknowledgement, and I think the reason I praise is give, great. Yeah, I mean it's great. It's <laughs> nice, but I'm also like I've learned to be very like I don't know. I'm just 
I don't expect it. I, I really am grateful when anyone acknowledges it, True. right? I'm like, just like so appreciative. So um, I think for a, lo- for a long time, for a few years in my, my 20s, I remember feeling like, gosh, I'm just not happy unless I'm like getting this from people or mm-hmm. unless I'm always around like people who can like lift me up or whatever. And I was like, Ugh, I just don't want to rely on that. Mm-hmm. So I literally went years doing everything on my own. I would go to the movies on my own. I would go out to dinner and lunch on my own. I would do everything on my own for years until I felt 100% happy with myself alone. And I was just like, I'm not going to need, because I think growing up as a kid when I didn't have the friends, when I started to have it, I was like, and someone would run me the wrong way. I was like, I was hurt. I was emotionally sad and whatever. I just didn't know how to handle it. So I was just like, I need to be so happy with myself, with who I am, and where I'm the only one that I need validation from. Sure. And that really helped me um, when I was able to just be like, I don't want to hang out with anyone. I just like, I love myself. Not in an egotistical way, but just like, I appreciate myself. I appreciate what I'm creating. And I think it allowed me to accept uh, other people coming to me and, and just really appreciate and be grateful for what I'm having in the validation or other people around me all the time. I don't know, just focusing on my own course and not trying to like make sure everyone else is talking about me or something. So. I'm a one-trick pony, literally. I show up at kids' parties and act cute. That's pretty much it. So excuse me for being bitter when Geico says not only could we save you money on car insurance, but we do more, like give you 24-7 access online, over the phone, or even via our award-winning mobile app. Well, ooh-la-la, aren't they multi-talented? Hey, I said organic carrots. Geico. Expect great savings and a whole lot more. What do you do each day that makes you happy that has nothing to do with building your career or checking Instagram mm, like that? Watching movies. No matter what happens, you can still do these things. Watching movies. Okay. I love. TV um, shows too or just movies? Yeah, TV shows, series on Netflix are amazing right now. Um, I love the salsa dance. I love art. I love music. I love dance. Um, I'll play guitar. I'll dance. Um Accurate yoga with my girlfriend. So it looks like you're looking for creativity outside of what you're known yeah. for being talented yeah. for. When you allowed me to come on your lovely mm-hmm. podcast about a year ago when I was releasing my book, Aim True, and I was maybe three or four days into releasing it, yeah. and I was so jittery, so excited, and so hell-bent on becoming a New York Times bestselling yeah, author because that was the ultimate... The dream. The, yeah, the it's goal, the dream. Yep. And you had just become a New York Times bestseller for your book, The School of Greatness. And I remember sitting there like a little kid twiddling her thumbs being like, so, Lewis, what was it like for you when you found out you were a New York Times yeah, bestselling yeah. author? That must have been amazing. And you very straight face went, well, I knew I was going to get that. Not in a I cocky a, bastard yeah, yeah. kind of way, but you were just like. I wasn't like, I got this. You were like, I dedicated a year of my life to achieving this. Yeah. And so it when really it arrived. Eight, it was really eight years. I had a vision eight years prior where I had this vision I was gonna be a New York Times bestseller. I was really good at achieving all my goals and dreams in sports. Like I wanted to be an All-American, I was a two-sport All-American. I wanted to play pro football, I was a, you know, I played professional football. Um, I wanted to make a million dollars in business after I was poor, uh, we reached that goal, right? And just everything I wanted to do, I was doing, and it always left me feeling very unfulfilled. It was like, great for about two minutes and then I was like angry and resentful and just like moody to be around that whole day whenever I would achieve something and Mm -hmm. I didn't really understand why until um, a couple years before the book came out when I started to really do some self-exploration and just be more aware of who I am and why I act the way I do and you know why I do get frustrated or unfulfilled or resentful or angry or any of these things and um, I started to realize that I was chasing these, these dreams for the wrong reason. I was doing them to, to put the phone in someone's face and say, I told you so. You were wrong about me. Mm-hmm. I am actually smart or good. And all or, that came from your childhood in a lot yeah, of ways. Yeah, absolutely. When I started to be aware of that and started to forgive myself for a lot of things I'd done in the past or forgive everyone in every situation for anything that ever happened to, for me, by me, and start to just appreciate and be grateful for everything that had happened in my life as opposed to be resentful towards it. I said, you know what? This isn't a great way to live. and I'm very exhausted trying to do these things to either please people or to prove them wrong. 
I'm going to do things to lift people up and to be a catalyst and to inspire. Preach. <laughs> no, because I, I think I'm struggling right now with the concept of like the moving goalposts. We're both struggling with that. Where it's like, oh, I, we want to put this podcast out. And then, it's like, oh, it's out. Oh, cool. Now, now can it be on the top 200? Oh, mm-hmm. it's on the top 200. Why isn't it on the top 100? Mm-hmm. How many? What, we need to get 200 ratings. And re- oh, why? Well, let's get 500. And I'm constantly seeing that in yeah. every and area. And the comparison game is the comparison yeah. game. Yeah, and I just, I'm just hoping for some concept of an expectation hangover. Yeah, I just want some Ooh, like tricks yeah. to like get out of that mm. mindset. I love the and idea that, of do it for others and not yeah. to prove that that just that for concept right there is something yeah. I could tell myself over and over and over again. I think it comes down to a few things. Having a vision bigger than yourself yes. is what I've learned has been very helpful. Every single day living in gratitude, which I know you preach from yoga and I'm sure you practice a lot, is being very mindful about gratitude of like where I am at and understanding where I've come. You know, Mm -hmm. it's been 10 years. This August will be when I got surgery on my wrist playing professional football, almost a decade since I lost my dream. And uh, I could look at the last decade and be like, man, I feel like I haven't done anything, right? Or I could look at all the things I've done every single year to get to me to this place. And now I can be like, awesome. I've got a great foundation. Now I'm getting started. The book you have coming out on Halloween, because I'm looking at an advanced reader copy right now. Mm-hmm. It's called The Mask of Masculinity. How did this book come about? <clears throat> so, you know, over the last few years, I've really been doing more self-discovery, like I mentioned. And I just was... I would get quick to be defensive, guarded, resentful, frustrated, angry, um, for all pretty much all my twenties. I'm a pretty happy, like fun-loving guy, but if something like triggers me, like I want to fight, <laughs> I want to like get in your face and defend myself, like the the younger young Lewis, right? And um, I got in a really, bad, <laughs> I'm sh- I, you know, I feel shameful saying this, but I got in a really bad fight about four years ago. Four a and fist half- fight. Yeah, really bad fist fight. And I haven't gotten in a bad fight since I was like 13 or something, right? And the last time I got in a fight where I said I was never going to fight again was like 12 or 13, and I mangled this kid's face. He was older than me. He was 17. I was 13, 12 or 13. Mangled his face where I couldn't recognize him. And I remember saying, like, I'm terrified of what I'm capable of, and I never want to fight anyone again. Well, fast forward, you know, whatever, 15, 17 years later, I was on a basketball court uh, playing, (laughs) and uh, it just got really heated. And this guy, I never hit anyone first. I may, like, you know, talk smack, this and that, but I'm never going to touch anyone. So someone else hit me first and headbutted me in the face. And after, like, a 30-minute very intense game of, like, five-on-five, and I was just, like, battling. Adrenaline's going. Just, like, battling, like, a a hard-fought game. But it was, like, he was fouling me hard. I was fouling him hard. It wasn't like we were... You know, hurting each other, but it was like it's how you play the game sometimes and out in a street ball, right? Mm-hmm. And um, it was down to the last point where like everyone's trying, you know, no one had scored the final point and it was just like really tight. And I do a hard foul of him as he's about to score and I like pull his arms down and he just gets in my, it's just his breaking point. He hits me in the forehead with his forehead hard, like headbutts me. And uh, this guy, again, a similar situation. This guy was probably like 60 pounds heavier than me, big dude. And older than me, just like the last situation. <laughs> he was probably like 45 or something, and I just lost it. Like, it was kind of like a number of, um, I was in a really kind of toxic relationship as well that was very emotionally up and down. Every single day, I didn't know what was going to happen. And I didn't have, the, I guess, the courage or the, t- the tools or the skills to kind of like cope with it and get out of the relationship. And... Um, and so I was taking it out on everyone else, mm-hmm. right? I was like quick to react, react to everyone else. And I just freaking lost my mind and went freaking Chuck Norris on this guy. Oh, and just like, again, not proud of it. Um, and again, to the point like at the end, it was just like the biggest gash on his forehead with just blood gushing everywhere. And I was just like, what did I just do? Right. Like what? What is this like stupid pickup street ball game where there's nothing on the line? What are we fighting over? What is the and I was like, why am I so mad? And why am I so reactive? And why am I so angry of this zero stakes? It's not the Olympics, it's freaking pickup basketball in West Hollywood. And some like 
old dude is trying to step to me. Who cares? Like, mm-hmm. why? So I just like, I, I remember going back to my, my place, looking in the mirror and just like trembling, like with fear of like, why? Like, who are you? Why are you this way? Like, why do you continue to react this way? And so I, I think that was a catalyst for a lot of self-reflection. And uh, I went to an emotional intelligence workshop. And um, one of these workshops I went to was very intense emotionally. Five days going back into with about 50 other people in the workshop, doing a lot of different exercises and games to kind of bring up the past with our parents. It was like a deep therapy session, but like on multiple steroids, right, with other people involved. And um, there was one point, a lot of different exercises bringing up the past about our mom, our dad, or kids that bullied us, just like talking about everything to like just kind of forgive and let go and be able to move forward. And at one point in the workshop, probably day three, the facilitator, the trainer was like, okay, we've gone through all the things from the past and now we're moving forward in our lives. We're gonna talk about tools and strategies on how we can move forward. But if you haven't shared anything you need to share from the past, now is the time. Because once we're through this moment, we're not bringing up anything from the past anymore. So I was like sitting there thinking to myself, I was like, you know, my parents like fighting every single day, screaming at each other, like beating each other and getting divorced. Went through all that, talked about it. I'm okay with it. My brother went in prison for four and a half years and we visited him in the, you know, the, the visiting room every single weekend. And I didn't have any friends for four years. Went through that, picked the last, went through that, like being made fun of, feeling stupid, like, nah, like I've, I've dealt with all these things. And I was like, oh, what about that time you were raped when you were five by a man? And I was like, oh, shoot, like how come I've never talked about this for 25 years? And But well, it, it wasn't that you remembered it in that moment that was just You just allowed the acknowledgement yourself? that you had I mean, talked about it? I, I mean, I always remembered it. Okay. Always, like, it's always been in the back of my mind. You know, pretty much sure. every, every like, week, you know, I'll think about it probably for the like, last, whatever, 30 34 years I've always thought about it but it's never like consumed me it's just like oh that thing you know it's just like an idea um and I was like my body started to tremble and I was like oh shoot I have to talk about this right now otherwise I'll probably never tell anyone because Mm -hmm. it was like I'm 30 at the time and I was like why would I start talking about it so I got up in front of the room I just started walking in the front of the room and it was it was pretty intense. I remember I couldn't look anyone in the eyes because I was so ashamed and so like guilty for what had happened. But I just like stared down at the ground, the carpet, standing up in a room of like 50 people in like a semicircle seated, seated around me. And for the first time walked through like moment by moment everything that happened when I was five wow. with the babysitters and the babysitter's son in the bathroom. And I mean... In this moment, I can remember the smell, the taste, everything of that experience, like the room, everything. And I remember when I was done talking about the experience, I sat down and thankfully there were two incredible women sitting on either side of me who I was bawling like I'd never cried in my life probably. Shaking, bawling, um, and they were just like holding me. And it was probably one of the most like incredible it was just one of the most incredible feelings having two like women just allow me to like cry Mm -hmm. and like not I don't know just like lift me up and in a moment of like extreme vulnerability and I remember like running out of the room because I was just like I I don't want to cry anymore in front of everyone I was so ashamed and I went outside the the facility um out on like the, there was like a back alley and I like put my head on the wall and like had my arm with my head like against the wall just crying and it was, it was one of the most beautiful experiences that ever happened to me after this point because one by one, every man in that room came up to me and like hugged me and, and looked me in the eye and they were like, you're my hero. And they were so open to me and expressive about things that had happened in their life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of them were like, man, I just had you, I just thought of you in a different way until you opened up about that. And I thought you were like this jock dude or whatever, you know, egotistical, whatever. But man, like I, I have so much more respect for you now and I like I trust you now and all these other things. And so that experience opened up like, wow. I started then, you know, after this workshop, it was an incredible experience. And after this, I was like, man, I feel like I need to tell my parents and my siblings and just have a conversation with my family to start healing more. Because it wasn't like I was all of a sudden better. It's just like now the process began. 
So I started telling all my family members one by one, and I was terrified to like let them know this about me. Like I'm the youngest of four, and uh, I just knew it'd be hard for my mom and you know my siblings. And I was just like, gosh, but I just want them to know. Mm-hmm. So I started telling them one by one, and I was terrified they weren't going to accept me once they knew this like thing about me because I was just felt like it was horrible. And I remember being like, oh, I just want them to still love me. You know, I was just like, I want them to love me. And so I asked them, I called them all. I couldn't look them in the face, so I just called them. And I asked them all a question first. I go, is there anything I could ever do or say that would make you not love me? Oh, jeez. And each one of them said, especially my brother, he was like, absolutely not, like right away. It didn't even matter. He was like, it doesn't matter what you do. I'll always love you. So for to hear, to hear him say that after, you know, he went through a lot of shame and guilt after getting out of prison. Sure. Um, and uh, I just had real conversation with all of them. And it was terrifying, but it was, I never felt more connected to my family. When I started to open up, they told me things I didn't even know about them. And it was like we had this deeper relationship and bond that was like unbreakable because we just started revealing things that we were afraid to reveal. It was so beautiful. So I was like, huh, maybe I should share this with like a couple of my tight like friends. That was terrifying because I didn't want to like lose my friends, right? It was like this fear. But I did the same thing with like friends one by one. And um, the more I shared, the more I was able to heal and kind of like have my power back from the situation. Like I was terrified to talk about it at first. Then it was like less scary. And now I can talk about it freely without it trembling or being like, uh, you know, this like ruined my life or something situation. And um, I just feel like I have like power and responsibility over the situation as opposed to someone like abusing me or something. And it's given me such freedom of having to prove myself wrong or, you know, be resentful or, or angry because I've forgiven everyone in my life who I feel like has done something bad to me. Now, I'm not saying it's okay what happened and I, and I don't want it to happen to anyone. It's not okay. But if I don't forgive, then I'm holding myself a prisoner. And I'm like, I deserve better than that. So this journey of really being aware of the different masks that I have worn growing up, continue to wear because I'm not perfect. And uh, it's a continual process of me of like, when I'm in the moment of like wearing a mask and I'm like, okay, you're doing this again, Lewis. Like, it's okay, like take it off, you're gonna be fine. It's just like a constant self-reflection for me to be aware of if I do turn to like an egotistical jerk, you know, or if I'm like reacting in a moment or if I'm whatever. Um, so this journey of like, this is the most helpful thing that's ever hap- happened to me in my life. And if other men could understand this process of healing and moving forward and being open with other people in their lives, the freedom they would have would be unbelievable. And if you want to achieve true greatness and achieve your dreams while feeling fulfilled and like it's all enough, then I feel like this is the process. And is this book going to be accessible to women as well, the overall message? Or you know do you feel like this is particularly... You know what's funny? Men? I think this is actually... I think more women are going to read this and... Um, Pass get, it along to somebody I as think, well? Yeah, yeah. I think more women are going to read this and it's going to be helpful for more women, actually, because... Um, to understand men in their life. To lives. understand, like, there's nine different masks that we uh, kind of break down that I did a lot of research with different psychiatrists and things and experts in this topic because I'm not the expert. Nine different masks. So imagine if you could understand fully your father, your husband, boyfriend, your brother, your son, whatever. Mm-hmm. If you can imagine, you could understand fully which mask they wear the most. And in that discovery, understand why they are that way. Sure. You understood it from like the deepest understanding. And then at the end of each chapter, we give women tools on how to connect with the men with those masks and get them to take it off without making them wrong, but actually lifting them up and elevating who they are and acknowledging the greatness in them, not the things that are you want changed, that they're, they're bad at. And so I just feel like it's going to be so helpful for so many women and men, the men who read it, I think it's going to be powerful, but I think women who read it, it's going to be so powerful because women have so much power in relationships and the world and men, you know, are led by women in a lot of ways. (laughs) You know what it is? Men want to please women. Men want to make their girlfriend or wives happy. They don't want to like hurt them. 
uh, in general, right? I think they want to come from a place of love and, and care. And so but sometimes we get confused and, and, and there's so much confusion right now in our times about what masculinity is. Should you be this way? Uh, there's, there's challenges with uh, masculinity for parenting, challenges in relationships when masculinity and femininity roles are shifting and careers and all these situations. So I just feel like with all the confusion, how can we understand it a little bit better? Timely topic. Yeah. All right. The book comes out on Halloween. Yeah. It's called The Mask of Masculinity. And you can catch Lewis House podcast, The School of Greatness on Apple Podcasts, wherever you download your anywhere, podcasts. Anywhere. Everywhere. Lewis, thanks for joining us. Thank high you, five. Guys. But give Appreciate me like the modified non-handball version high five. Like don't break my arm. Oh. <laughs> Do they, are they notorious for strong high fives in handball? Well, he told me 80 miles per hour. I'm like, yeah. slow uh, your high five. <laughs> and before you go, what's your favorite cookie? Chocolate chip. Okay, he's safe. Yeah, it's on the standard cookie list. You're good. Like You're soft, good. warm chocolate chip cookie. Not not With crunchy, out of the chewy, salted chewy? like salted. No, you're getting like a little sea salt. Oh, sea salt sea on salt. top. Yes, it's that's totally no, no, no. Fine. That's fine. That's it's just a modified version of the chocolate chip cookie. Yes. I accept it. Okay, thanks. All right, thanks. Y'all, I am so excited that we are about to drop an outtake from all of our demo and our previous recording, trying to get this podcast right for you. This was in late January, months ago, we recorded a segment before the Super Bowl. Now, this is Catherine's dabbing across the room from me. It's the one Cam Newton move that she knows. It's, it's her one... I can slam a football with a lot of zest, too. You can spike a football. Slam it, spike it, whatever. Physically, it is a ball being slammed into the ground, and then I can dance. You're right. So take a listen. This is the segment that we recorded before the Super Bowl between the New England Patriots and another team that at the time Catherine did not know. <laughs> take a listen. It's Super Bowl week. Yay. The biggest week in the sports world. Is it this really the week. biggest? It's the biggest week in the American sports landscape. I'm sorry. That was... That was a yeah, little... I just thought you should clarify that. Okay. okay. In America, this is the biggest week in sports. You and I are going, and we are there to watch who play who. Patriots. Yes. The Patriots are taking on the... Non-Patriots. Okay. The <laughs> Patriots are taking on the non-Patriots, also known as... A football team that doesn't have Tom Brady. Okay. So you don't know who they're playing. I have no idea who So we're playing. going to the Super Bowl, and you don't know who they're playing. All right, so for our sports listeners, there is no need for me to articulate which two teams. It's the Atlanta Falcons playing the New England Patriots, but there could be a lot of wellness people. The Falcons were purple. No. Gold? No, no, honestly, okay, actually, we need to unpack that. They're birds. The Falcons wear purple. <laughs> no, like, not the bird, is, like, isn't their uniform No, no, purple? no, no, also, no. Oh, red, burgundy. Okay, it's like a red and a black, but, like, why did you think they were purple? I was thinking of the Baltimore team. Aren't they a bird team? The too? Ravens. Yes, yes. The Ravens. Okay, so somewhere inside your brain there was like Birds, an intelligent purple. piece of information that just got categorized in the wrong place. Thank you for acknowledging that. Okay, so it should have been categorized in Atlanta, and instead it got categorized in Baltimore. Let's play a game. What football teams okay. are based on birds? Look, I'm actually very passionate about this game that's going to be played on Sunday. All right, New England, Atlanta. I am picking Atlanta to win the game. I think Atlanta is going to win 31 to 24. I'm not going to ask you for your pick because I feel that it would be unsubstantiated by any sort of evidence. But here's why Atlanta is going to win. On one hand, the reason why Atlanta is going to win is because I just desperately want them to win because I'm just tired of the Patriots winning. So I totally grant that that is a driving portion of my pick. The other part of my pick is that the Patriots defense, although it's number one ranked in the NFL, has yet to be tested on any level. They've never faced like a top five QB. They've gotten lucky with injuries about what quarterback they've faced. They've had the easiest schedule for a New England Patriots team that usually should have a difficult schedule. I think this defense is untested, and I think Atlanta's offense that has just been running through the NFL at like top 10 all-time levels is going to surprise everybody and win 31-24. to Okay, I want to redeem myself with one for my wellness listeners. QB, quarterback. <laughs> That's what that translates to. Wait. That's right. I know the lingo. QB. Well, actually, quarterback. Okay. Time out. Is another that sarcasm? Reference. That's another sports no, reference. No, I honestly really need to know right now. When you offered that bit of information, 
Did you truly think it was impressive? Look, just because you seep in sports all day long doesn't mean that the rest of the no, world this necessarily is, does. I, honestly, I think when I figured out what QB meant that I was like, ooh, I'm savvy. No, so you truly offered that QB designation like in earnest. There might be people making green smoothies somewhere who have no idea what QB means. <laughs> so it was in earnest? Yes! Oh my God, that is adorable. I, know, you love, I love you. I do. I love you. I love you too. I do believe that there's a lot of wellness listeners out there who love to know that acronym now. So thank you for right. presenting that. Sure. It was a beautiful offering. So Catherine's football knowledge is not off the charts, but one place where it is off the charts is on the wellness front. And since we just got back from London, I thought we'd drop a healthy cookie about how to stay healthy while traveling. Exactly. Catherine Budig, take it away. And since Kate loves lists, I love I've, them. I've really tried to put this into three points. A list of three. A list of three. One, hydration. Hydration is wildly important. So I really recommend bringing a reusable canteen for you. They have hydration stations now in the airport so you can get your water. I recommend bringing little um, little mineral or vitamin, you know, the emergency packets with you. Take one of those while you're flying. This is going to be a good way to get your electrolytes into you but that depletes easily. You should also be drinking roughly eight ounces per hour on the plane. So you should have to pee. So get the aisle seat. That's Just good. Get the aisle seat and make sure you're going I to the bathroom. I love playing bathrooms. They're like little apartments. But the thing about hydration that's really important is when you travel, it's very easy for your digestive system to go awry, um, a.k.a. it is hard to eliminate. So what you want to do first thing in the morning, drink pound two just lukewarm glasses of water because what this does is it triggers your gastrocolic reflex. Thank you, Caroline Shea, my best friend who is a nurse. And this basically is going to tell your body it is time to eliminate. So two glasses of water first thing in the morning. Second point, probiotics, probiotics, probiotics. This is going to be really important to keep your digestive system perky while you're on the road as well. I personally like Prescriptacyst. There's a great company, Standard Process. Um, if you don't have pills, you could also go get a kombucha at a health food store or even just try to get your hands on some fermented food. And then three, another really easy one are Epsom salts. So I normally pack just a little baggie of Epsom salts. And as soon as I get to my hotel or wherever I'm staying, I'll draw a bath or just fill up the sink with Epsom salts, soak my feet or my body. And that's going to help pull out the toxins, pull out this uh, bloated sensation that you get from being at altitude and being on a flight for too long. That's a nourishing, healthy cookie. Indeed. Thanks. And that's it. That's today's show. Free cookies. The podcast is brought to you by ESPNW.com. And please check out ESPNW.com for all of your women's sports news, scores, pop culture tidbits, lifestyle, wellness. It's all there, ESPNW.com. All the stuff. And we are produced by Sarah Johnson. Our editor is Tarika Foster. Thanks, Tarika. Thank you. And you can hit us up at freecookies.com. At ESPN.com, please send us your thoughts, your notes, your cookie ideas, love notes, thoughts, kind words. I think love notes is the key thing that people need to send. Sweet, sweet things. You can find free cookies wherever you get your podcasts, including Apple Podcasts. Please, please rate and review the show. It really helps others. And subscribe. And subscribe. And subscribe. Rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks for listening. We love you guys.